welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. As you all know, I'm uh, dealing with essay articles. I'm Harvey Asher, sexaholic, and I'm sexually sober 36 years and eight months, one day at a time. Um, uh, almost six months ago, if, uh, Malcolm, who's on this call, um, kept bugging me about doing a weekly talk. I was very reluctant, and through perseverance, he finally got me to do it. <laughs> I wouldn't call it reluctant. I would call it more resistant. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And since he said that, let's use the word (laughs) (laughs) self-will. It was like this. No, mm -mm, I tried that. No way (laughs) am I going to do this. Um, And as soon as I surrendered and said yes, the idea came to me to read the articles that I had written over the years for the essay, to read it directly out of the article, not comment on it, and then leave the rest up to you all for questions and answers. We close in an hour from the beginning And then I leave it open another half hour approximately for those who have not had a chance to um, ask their questions and still want some responses. Um, Today, we're doing one called Surrender to the Process. Now, this was written in March 2014. Surrender to the process. The other day, a friend called me with a question. He said that at an essay meeting he attended that day before, he discovered he had the most sobriety in the room. He asked me whether he could learn anything from a meeting where he has the most sobriety. I told him that no matter how much sobriety I have, God is able to speak to me through other members with less sobriety. Then I shared with him the following stories. In the past, I attended an AA meeting in the center of a rough area of Nashville, not far from a homeless shelter. Many homeless people would come in 
off the street to attend the meeting. One day a disheveled man came in, probably drunk, and he began to share. I didn't give it much thought to his share until a few weeks later, when I was driving with my sponsor back from a meeting and he began quoting from the homeless man's share. I looked at my sponsor with bewilderment. I asked, how can you remember what this guy said? He was probably drunk and he came into the meeting only once. My sponsor said, I never know who God will choose at a meeting to send me the message I need to hear that day. Since I never know whom he picks, I need to listen to every word everyone says at the meeting. Next, I told my friend about an event that happened to me the week before he called me. I had been at an SA meeting and just like him, I noticed I had the most sobriety in the room. In that meeting was a young man who had nine days of sobriety. He talked about how wonderful it was to be sober. And he was so excited to share his recent realization. He had discovered that the, the only way for him to stay sober was to surrender to the process. I was mesmerized. God at that moment spoke to me through a nine-day sober man. He helped me realize how I have remained sober over the past 30 years. I often wondered why some members struggle with sobriety while others are able to stay sober. I know it could not be that God loves me more than he loves other people in the program. The God of my understanding gives grace to all. But at that moment, through that newcomer's share, I realized the answer for me was that I have surrendered to the process. And I was also reminded that I can learn new and important information from members with less sobriety. So I asked myself, how have I surrendered to the process during my time in sobriety? Following are some examples that came to mind. One, I prayed on my knees every morning. Early in sobriety, I was told to get on my knees first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I was instructed to give each day to God. I remember thinking that I couldn't do that. It was against my religious teachings. Then the gift came to me. I realized I had to surrender because that is what I was told to do. As frequently happens, once I surrendered, I realized this was not against my religious principles. It was only against 
my mother's interpretation of the practice. Two, I got an essay sponsor. The sponsor I chose had only a high school education and I had many advanced degrees, but I surrendered to the realization that this was the man I needed in my life. As it turned out, the sponsor would often say to me, Harvey, someday your intelligence might catch up to your education. After 30 years of recovery in SA, I'm still not sure that my intelligence has caught up to my formal education, but my intelligence has certainly been helped by my informal 12-step education. Three, I gave up my secrets in step four and five. I surrendered to the process when I was told that I cannot have secrets today. To my awareness, there are no secrets in my life. There is at least someone in the program with whom I have shared my deepest, darkest secrets. Four, I have been faithfully reading program literature. I surrendered when I was told to read one page each of the AA-approved literature and essay-approved literature every day. I've continued this process for the past 30 years. Next, I've surrendered my right to lust and to sexual acting out. I was told that to stay sober, I should make a two-way contract with my higher power first thing in the morning. I have surrendered to the process of making this two-way contract each day. My contract is, God, I will be sexually sober today. Please help me be sexually sober today. Next. I've surrendered to the idea that I need to attend a certain number of meetings each week. In the beginning, I was told to attend 90 meetings in 90 days. In my case, after 30 years, I still need a minimum of four to five 12-step meetings a week. Next, I've surrendered to working the steps. I surrendered to knowing that I will need to use my steps on a daily basis for as long as I want to remain sober and comfortable. Next, I've surrendered to the process of doing service work. If I don't give it away, I will never be able to keep it. So I am committed to doing service work. My service work includes speaking to groups around the world, being available to talk, take calls from SA members around the world, and sponsoring many members. There are but a few of the surrenders I have realized I needed to make. Each of us needs to see what areas we hold on to and be willing to let these things go. As the big book says, 
Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. AA book, page 58. So far as I've learned from the new member through whom God chose to speak, the term surrender to the process is how I have stayed sober over the years with God's help. Surrendering to the process is a simple idea, but it is not always easy to practice. Surrender often sounds negative. This is the true paradox of our program. It's through surrender that we win. Such is the paradox of AA regeneration. Strength arising out of complete defeat and weakness. The loss of one's old self as a condition for finding a new one. From AA Comes of Age, page 46. It's through surrender that I've been set free by being a slave to my addiction and character defects. If you are struggling in this program, then be sure you are actually surrendering to the process. Try it, you might even like it. That's it. I, before we, I respond to questions, I want to give you a shortcut to how you know you're not surrendering. The moment you use the word struggle, you are refusing to surrender. The minute a sponsee calls a sponsor and uses the word, I am struggling, you're wasting your time talking. This struggle means a person isn't ready to let go of it yet. So why hit your head against the wall? You can't convince anyone of anything, especially addicts. So be wary of the words you use with yourself or with other people when you say you're struggling. Struggling is a total waste of time because you will always lose. Why will you always lose if you struggle? Because the brain uses, has one intelligence. So if you have a high intelligence, your addict, which lives in your brain, has a high intelligence. If your intelligence is average, your addict is average. <laughs> but usually addicts have a very high intelligence. So they're Addict is very intelligent, as intelligent, not more intelligent, equal intelligent, since it shares our brain. But what's the difference? The addict always lies to us. So it's as intelligent, but it also lies. It, so it always wins. The minute you're using your mind to fight, 
to struggle, your addict has to win. Now, how does it lie? How does it lie? It lies through truth. How can our addict lie through truth? <laughs> it sounds crazy. Because it does. It tells us these simple facts like how in the world can taking a second look hurt you? Logic, it's not logical. It can't hurt you taking a second look. It forgets to tell you that once you take that second look, the phenomenon of craving begins, and then you've got to take the third and fourth, and then you start following the person down the street. <laughs> There's a story someone with long-term sobriety tells. He used to be from Nashville, and he saw a woman in a car, and their eyes met. He was in his car, she was in her car, their eyes met. And he decided he, she was giving him a signal that she wanted to get together with him. So he followed her right to the police station. See, his brain lied to him. His intelligence took that knowledge. She saw his eyes. And then the addict makes this little lie based on the truth. Ah, she looked in your eyes in the next car. And then it says you could follow her. Okay. So in the program, we learn not to listen to our brain because we'll lose. That's why I call my sponsor. My best thinking got me here. My very best thinking got me giving my wife venereal disease. All my degrees, all my education, all my medical knowledge, Got me given my wife an aerial disease. Intelligence will not work in this program. Okay, I'm ready for questions. Thanks, Holly. So my, my question is like, um, for me, the, the two key concepts of recovery are surrender and acceptance, and they, they are the magic of recovery. But very often, and you'll hear, we hear this all the time, people walking into the room, uh, the language of surrender doesn't make sense. No one understands what surrender is. Now, this article that you've written is actually a really good opening. Maybe hopefully this recording will also be in the future, opening to, to explain to people what is surrender on day one. But I don't, I didn't, how, how would you explain surrender to a newcomer on day one? That's my question. You don't have to. Because they've already surrendered by coming to the meeting. So all you have to say, hey, 
Something happened. You came to the meeting. That surrender. They couldn't do it themselves. They finally said, I cannot stop this on my own. That surrender. See, spiritual awakenings, and that's also the first spiritual awakening, to acknowledge we're powerless. Spiritual awakenings, you don't wait till the 11th, 12th step. We just don't recognize them, okay? All you have to do is help someone see what they've already done. Our program is so simple, most people can't get it. They make it so complicated. Okay? Did I beat around the bush or did that help? That was great. Thank you. Um, so the first question is, uh, someone's asking about surrendering ego, uh, specifically with relation to the amount of sobriety that we, that we have. You know, we've all heard it, people walking into a room and now they have a couple of years sobriety and, or, or even more, and, you know, feeling like they've now got this in the room. Like, how, how does one surrender ego? I don't know most of the time when my ego has flared up. Only way I know it is I get tight and angry. <laughs> that usually means my ego is flaring up. So, oh, about eight, nine months ago, a sponsee said I interrupt them too much. I immediately got annoyed. And I felt the defensiveness. that filled my body. I, this is what ego does. How dare he say that? I've spent hours and hours with him. He asks me questions, then he says something, then I'm responding. How dare he say that to me? I, now, after many, many years, I know the moment I get defensive in my head, in my chest, I'm an ego. And I said, thanks for the feedback. I think it said that. And I said, I wanted to tell him off. I want to say, don't call me back. Instead, I said, I can't promise, but I will certainly try not to do that. From then on, I was able to have more mindfulness and see how I do it with everyone. And it gave me a whole lot of enlightenment and I screw up every now and then, but I'm much better. Um, my wife for years confronted me when I spoke to her or other people on the phone. When I had enough of the conversation, I'd say goodbye. 
uh, and just end the conversation. A sponsee confronted me on that. He said, all of a sudden you say goodbye. And I was, I, I didn't know what to say. And finally I said, I don't realize I do it, but my wife says the same thing, that I do do that. Here's a surrender. Can you tell, give me a suggestion on how not to do it? And he said, Harvey, just say to the person on the phone, is there anything else you want to say? Was that simple? Now, this year, so I've been doing that for years. This year I've added something to it. I've added honesty. If there are some people, they will talk for a half hour to an hour on the phone to me. I sponsor 21 people. I have people from all over the world calling who I don't even know who they are. And I'm now able to say, I would like to end this conversation soon. and not make any excuses. It's been very freeing for me. Another surrender to tell the truth. Okay, next question. Thank you, and a reminder just out loud that if you have a question that you wanna ask yourselves, just raise your hand in the app. Um, the question is, can you explain why certain sponsors require members to write a long first step and share it with the group? Haven't we already earned our seat without this apparent initiation ritual? Where does it come from? Is resistance to doing something so seemingly unsafe a lack of surrender? Okay. Remember, our program is a fellowship. It's not a religion. We have no rules. You can't be kicked out. We have no leaders. It's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. So I'm going to give you a little inside information. It's a myth giving a first step to the group of people. It's a later edition in SA. None of us did that in the early years, to my knowledge. I shared my first step with my sponsor. That was it. So much of what happens in the fellowship are individual groups dealing with things. So I got a... Uh, a a question um, about people 
giving their qualification at each meeting. You go around the room, I'm a sexaholic and my disease took the form of uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And people will go on for five minutes telling what it is. And the guy said, do they do this? Is this everywhere in America? And I said, well, I can't speak for America, but I can speak for Nashville. We give our name and our sobriety day and not give our qualification, qualifier. I can give my qualifier. I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, and I've been sexually sober for 36 years and eight months, and my disease took the form of chronic masturbation, of sexually abusing my wife through frequency and promiscuity, predominantly gay, period. That's my qualifier, but I don't say it in every meeting. That is a personal group issue. I had a very strange freeing experience. Years and years into recovery, I made this horrible suggestion that we change our reading that we introduce things. And people at the business meeting got so upset at me. How can you dare changing what's been here all these years? This is a natural. And I started to laugh. I said, who do you think wrote that one to begin with? Me and a few, I and a few other people. This was not written by God. <laughs> Over these past many, many weeks, my theme is the same. This is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope. That's all it is. It is not a religion. And when it says we had to let go of our old ideas, it doesn't mean to let go of your old religion. But an old idea is, well, this is how everything's done. It, our program's done the same way. No, this is a spiritual entity. It is not a religious entity. Religio, rules, laws. No, we're not that. We're a group of drunks. And I will tell this story over and over again that my sponsor said over and over. God tried everything to sober up alcoholics. First, he tried ministers, rabbis, imams through, <laughs> through religion. That didn't work. Then he tried social workers. That didn't work. He tried doctors. That didn't work. He tried psychiatrists. That didn't work. 
He was about to give up when he finally said, I'll try, it finally said, I'll try one more thing. I'll let one drunk help help another drunk. And that worked. That's the program in a nutshell. And you don't need six months or a year to go out hitting the bushes to find hurting sex objects. You could do it on your first and second day. One drunk helping another. Ebby hardly had one, six weeks, who knows how long, when he went to visit Bill W and help Bill get sober. Dr. Bob did his eighth and ninth step the day he got sober after he relapsed. I'd like to knock every myth out of this. We're just a bunch of drunks who help each other stay sober one moment at a time, one day at a time. Do you think I could stay sober without you all? With all my sobriety, I'm not lusting today. I'm not acting out. I don't want to act out. Do you really believe I could do this without you? Impossible. My brain might. Well, tell me maybe I could, but it's a lie. And Jess was so good at saying this. He needed a God with skin. He needed to hear God through other people. Next question. Thank you. Uh, Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, my name is Sam. I'm a sexaholic. Good to hear from you, RV. I always love you. Love to hear from you. Yeah, man. You know, I just want to find. I hear your voice sometimes in the PDF. I have a voice over. I have. They call. Um, you, you said we don't have problem with the sex. We have a problem with the loss. My language is not good. I know that, but I need to understand me. Uh, how you find this is this, this is you, you want to connect with somebody for the marriage, maybe you know. How you know this is connect? Is connection is um, is a healthy connection, or you have a this is a if you want to have a relationship for the marriage, for example. But how you know this relationship is healthy or is this um, our disease or crazy? Or, yeah. I, will, I hope you understand my question. Sam, I have no idea. Everything I think 
gets pulled out from under my feet. So there are groups of people in this fellowship whose marriages are arranged or they only can date for three times before they could get married, basically, or get committed. And I've seen the marriages work. <laughs> and then I've seen marriages where people have gone exactly by the book and this and that, that don't work. I've seen every combination of permutation. I sponsored, I still do sponsor in a decade, almost two decades now. He had a beautiful program, has a beautiful program. But after six months of recovery, his, his first wife divorced him. She couldn't handle his him being recovering. The dance changed. I can't figure this stuff out. But what is the motive? Always the motive. And what is the interaction with our sponsor and our step work? That's very, very helpful. I've asked my sponsees, um, it's nothing about sex. It's about AA that I apply to essay. Don't make any major decisions during your first year of sobriety. You're still crazy acutely because the chemicals takes a, about a year for the brain <laughs> to start getting there. Um, at least. And I go according to what AA said. You know, we have a 85, 86 year history in AA. Many people forget the basic texts of the AA books. And I suggest people go to, if you're not an alcoholic, go to open AA meetings too. We just don't have the depth in essay yet. Essay is basically still stuck in the first three steps. Very rare. You hear at meetings about the 11th step and meditation and 10th step issues and 12th step issues, it's usually always the first three steps and maybe some of the fourth step. So we're still a young program. You know, Roy started it in 1976, but it really didn't get going till 1983. When just that year came in, I came in the next year. So we're still a, a group of pioneers. Roy said this remarkable statement in the crucible of our experience. We have a collective experience. That's how we learn what works and what doesn't work. I hear things in this program 
where people call themselves sober in marriage, that would be totally not what I could do. And yet they do it. There are people on the program who could watch nudity if their motive's okay on regular movies, if they're not looking at pornography. I can't do it successfully. I get too uncomfortable. So that's why to thine own self be true. You examine your motives, you talk to your sponsor about it. And I use an example, and for people who don't speak English as their main language, um, in most countries everywhere, when you make cake, little cookies, there's this thing that makes the shape. We call it in English, a cookie cutter. Makes little cookies. This program is not a cookie cutter. You can't stamp everyone the same way in this program. Because it's a spiritual program. It's not a legal program. So, if you wash yourself one time in your private areas, okay, well, let's say you do it five times. Do you call that masturbation? <laughs> I mean, who defines this? But I know if I did it five times, that's no longer washing myself. To thine own self be true. Very difficult. Because we have so many people in this program, unlike AA, who are so religiously oriented. When we first started in 84, not for when I came in in 84, I'd say 50%, 70% of everyone who came in were clergy or clergy related. We have a very fundamentalist Christian, Jewish, Muslim type of orientation, very fundamentalist. And it gets carried over into a spiritual program that won't work. You could have spirituality with religion. You could have spirituality without religion. But spirituality and religion are not synonymous. It doesn't mean religion isn't good. It's just not synonymous. Okay, so easy does it. And don't expect 
definite yes or no. As you know, a year before Roy died, I was with him at a conference, and I said to Roy, Roy, why did you leave the definition of sex with self so vague? You were so specific about the definition of marriage, but you were so vague with the definition of sex with self. I mean, people, you could get away with wild stuff in this program with sex with self. If you're a voyeur, you could be standing in front of a window watching a woman or a man undress, get stimulated, and say, I haven't touched myself. I'm sexually sober. <laughs> when you're drunk out of your head. <laughs> so I said to him, how come it's so vaguely defined? And he shocked me. He said, because this is not a religion. You cannot dot every I. So what is the meaning to me? To me is don't get preoccupied with anyone else's sobriety. Just get preoccupied with the quality of your sobriety, of my own sobriety. What is my sobriety when no one could know? When it's impossible for anyone to know what's in my head or what I do in the shower? What is my sobriety? Next question. Go ahead, Rob. I do not speak for SA. I have my own experience, strength, and hope. And don't ever think I'm speaking for SA. I'm speaking for a man who has had these ideas and actions behaviors for over 36 years, and it has worked for me. Worked for me. That's all I could tell you, what's worked for me. Thank you. R Ralph, are you able to unmute yourself? You have a question? Actually, yes, my name Ralph. is Ralph. My name Hi. is Ralph. I'm a, I'm a sexaholic. Um, I've had a lot of anxiety lately, and uh, some of what you said, Harvey, uh, uh, kind of kind of struck me and uh, helped me to think on where some of my anxiety is coming from. Um, back when I was uh, younger, um, I was I was raised uh, in a strict manner, and I I was taught to believe that I shouldn't let I shouldn't let women change me and I'm I'm trying to be open-minded to to change 
but sometimes I am still stubborn. Um, and I, I struggle with this. Um, I try to try to do things more open-mindedly, but, uh, sometimes my stubbornness comes in. Um, I know this isn't on the subject of sexual, but it's still, you know, we, we need to learn, uh, relationships, how to, how to relate with people. And I, I really struggle with this, uh, and I'm trying to find, find a new way of living so that things could be more peaceful and what would be your suggestion to get this accomplished? Well, as you know, because you're struggling, it's not going to work. Whatever you're going to try to do. So you want to embrace that this is the programming you've had. That's all you have to do. Be honest with yourself. And then what happens? This magical word, powerlessness. I am powerless over my way of thinking about women. And my life becomes unmanageable. And then you merely do the steps on it without any kind of perceiving you're going to be cured. You just do the steps on it. You write how your life gets unmanageable from it. You write the different ways you're powerless over this. You start getting in touch with the insanity behind it. The classic step work. You come to believe a power greater than yourself can restore you to it to sanity. See, we can't ask God or whatever this God is to restore us to sanity when we don't acknowledge we're insane. And it's very difficult when the insanity has been handed down from generation to generation. And I'm a good example. I did not have a God of my understanding. I had a God of my mother's understanding. And she had an insanity about God. She had the God that if you don't eat all your food, Harvey, God will punish you. Harvey, if you don't... If you laugh in the morning, God will make you cry at night. One thing after another. And so it became part of me. And I had, not I had to, I chose to let go of my old ideas that can never be totally erase. That's part of my acceptance. I am so programmed. It's cellular. And I accept that. But it doesn't control my life today. Because through the 11th step and mindfulness, I could see it rather than participate in it. Oh, there's one of your mother's messages again. 
Okay. Okay, question from Ilya. I can't you. tell you the name of the book, but there's this tiny little book about love. And it's about attachments, letting go of attachments. You cannot let go of attachments until you're able to see all the programming that your family put in, that religion put in, that society put in, and that culture put in. Once you see it, you don't have to let go of it. But you know it wasn't you. It was a programming put in. Then I could say, I like that one. I'm going to keep it. Or no, that doesn't apply in my life anymore. I'm going to let that one go. Okay, next question. Was that book, uh, The Way to Love, Anthony DeMello, or was it something else? I can't say, but you're reading my mind. Okay. <laughs> Now, first of all, I'd say this it's not AA approved, uh, SA approved literature. But the second reason is it took me 30 years to go against my old learning programming and read material from other religions. And so we can't recommend books because people might just not be ready to read material by clergy who are not of their particular religion. We have to be real careful in recovery not to push books that are not AA or SA approved, in my opinion. <laughs> By the way, why is that? Because that would permit people to bring in materials to our rooms and read, even though they are constructive books, to read books from their particular religion that could upset people and say, hey, I'm leaving here. They're trying to convert me. Or it could be a book of the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> or it could be a book on fascism. No, we, we don't bring in outside issues. And to get it real focused, and that's why so often you will hear the word God and God of my understanding, rather than any particular God's name. And it's not necessarily because of someone else in a religion that's not that religion will get upset. It's that many people have religious abuse issues from their own religion, and hearing certain words trigger it off. 
So we just don't get involved in outside issues. That's why the traditions are so important. Next question, and then we're going to end uh, beforehand. I want to tell you that next week, which will be our final week, next week of all the articles I've written, next week's the one that is closest to my heart that I wrote about three years ago after a major problem I had physically. And it was, um, it's basically called, uh, it was, I was supposed to be doing a conference in Canada and something happened. And um, it's called, um, I was supposed to be there, but I was ex exactly where I was supposed to be. <laughs> I couldn't be there, but I was somewhere else where it, it was meant to be. And I think of all the articles for me, that is at the core of my spiritual life, this was the article. Um, Okay, uh, thank you, Harvey, for this talk. Thank you, everyone who's involved with doing it. It's been very helpful. My question is, um, it's two questions, but I think it's the same same idea, is that could you elaborate more on what it means that if you're struggling, you're not surrendering? Because, like, I'm new, I'm, I've been struggling I can't the program, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, could you elaborate what it means that if you're struggling, you're not surrendering? Because I, I've been struggling with lust my whole life, and I thought in the beginning it is a struggle. So I don't understand what that means. And what if someone is doing all those things that you said, but they still oh, find themselves powerless over yeah, lust? Your microphone's fogging out. Yeah, your microphone was better before, Ilya, and then you changed something, and it was harder to hear you now. Uh, yeah, try to try again the okay. same question. Okay, I'll try. And then what would you say someone who is trying these things that you meant, surrendering to the process, but still powerless over loss, still taking actions of loss? That's it. I hope you guys could hear me. Thank you. Thanks. I'm almost always at a loss for words. Um I'm taking actions of lust um, because it's a one day at a time program. And if it can't be done for a day, you do it one hour at a time. But one hour we could surrender. How do we surrender? How do we surrender? It means that within us, we say, I'm powerless. I cannot stop. I've tried it on my own. 
I need to reach out. I surrender that I can't do this by myself. Now, let's say every hour you're calling someone up. Jess would say we could always out-pray, meaning especially the 18-wheeler. We could always out-pray the lust thought. If it comes in 10 times, we could do one of our 18-wheeler things 11 times. But let's say it's not working. Why would it not work? Because the disease has gotten too advanced. So some people have diabetes. All they have to do is go on a diet and it gets better. But some people need oral medication. And it doesn't work. Some people need insulin. That might not be enough. Others might need an insulin pump. Okay. If it's not working, you know you need more medication. And for us, some people need to go to treatment programs. They cannot detox on the outside. Some people need to be, in my opinion, chemically castrated. They need more than just the meetings. This is a true disease. It's a true disease. It just depends on the dosage of the medication. And it, the most important five paragraphs of the big book before it mentions the steps in chapter five, it says we have to be willing to go to any length. Have to be willing to go to any length. So to answer Ilya's statement, uh, you're not surrendering. I'm not taking in inventory. I'm trying to build on your, I don't know you. But you continue to struggle and not surrender. Now, let me give you a little background. Sometimes, see, we're all addicts. So our egos, especially sponsors' egos as addicts, can get in the way. And a sponsor could say, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, you're not listening to me, if you do this, you do that. The sponsor is not surrendering that you need more than him and more than meetings. See, sponsors themselves have trouble surrendering. If someone keeps relapsing, I tell them, I have nothing to offer you. You need more. Your disease is advanced. 
you need to go, you know, also some people have dual diagnosis. They have mental illness and they need to be seen by psychiatrists. Don't make this a religion. If you just pray deep enough, God will change everything. No, God invented, discovered, had someone discovered insulin. It's our job to take the insulin. But don't pray and say, God, remove my diabetes. You're going to be in a lot of trouble. And say, I don't have to go to my doctor and get medicine. <clears throat> See, the programming we are having difficulty with is confusing also this program with the fact it is totally based on the disease model from the doctor's opinion, a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. It is not about us get, being bad, getting good, being sinners, becoming saints. It's about us being sick, getting well. And down deep, everyone from every religion knows this is true. Down deep. Because our religions are wonderful and effective, but it never helped us stop this because we've had this since we were children. Most of us were born with it. Just like juvenile diabetics. But our programming keeps telling us we're sinners. And if we just pray hard enough, it will be removed. Well, I wish you luck. Many people, it does get removed through religion. But statistically, they were abusers and not addicts. Once a cucumber becomes a pickle, it can never go back to being a cucumber again. And there are many wonderful clergy who get up at the pulpit and will say, I had this problem with pornography. I gave my life to the God of my understanding and it's been removed. Statistically, they were abusers, and it worked. But in AA, we call it a real alcoholic. Now, many people who come to this program are not real sexaholics. That's why they're able to relapse. If you're a real sexaholic, you're not going to be able to relapse very much. You're going to end up covered up, locked up, or sobered up. 
But we know many people do not die who relapse. Now, how do I know from my experience, strength, and hope? This, I, from when I came in 36 years ago to SA, and the people from AA who came in, they're not dead. They've stopped coming decades ago. They needed SA to have a safe place to get rid of their shame, to do a true fourth step for them and fifth step. But they're not like me. I'm a true sexaholic. And Bill W. brilliantly says that. He says, and if you could drink like a gentleman, my hat's off to you. Nothing's wrong with masturbation. We're not prohibitionists. Nothing's wrong with, I mean, people have been having affairs for decades, or they've been having <laughs> millennium. They call them concubines. They call them <laughs> multiple marriages, <laughs> biblically. <laughs> All kinds of names for it. But they weren't addicts. Most human beings have masturbated at one time or the other, and their lives don't fall apart. Not me. I was doing it every few hours. I needed to do it to wake up in the morning and tranquilize myself throughout the day and to use it as a sleeping pill at night. Mine was a true drug addiction. And if you could act down, and where's Ilya? If you could do it, my hat's off to you. Thank you, disappear. <laughs> no, I'm here. I heard what you said. It's very helpful. Thank okay. you. And you might not be a sex addict if you're getting away with it and you're like, no, I know yet. No. I, I, I'm, I'm not getting away with it. That's the problem. It's getting worse. So that's, that's, that's why I'm on this call. So, but thank you. It's been very, very helpful. Your question, your answer. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, All there's right. no shame in going to a treatment program. I want to tell you this little secret. For the first few years, the only people that the AA people dealt with were those, they would send them to the hospital for five days for detox. Since this is a true drug addiction, many people cannot get through the detox as an, without a hospital setting. Because, as I've said in other meetings here, it's a true brain drug issue. And you go through a dying experience where the body is signaling you that you're drowning. It's subliminal. And a drowning man will do anything, even bring other people down with him, to not drown. And that's what it affects a part of the brain called the limbic system, 
our hypothalamus. This is a true abnormality and withdrawal. And Roy, and if you think I'm making all this up, it's in the beginning of the book, in the essay book. He talks about withdrawal, about tolerance. Why do you think it gets worse over the years? If we build tolerance, we need a bigger dosage. What worked last year to give us the same effect, we need a higher dose this year. By the way, whatever I'm saying could be total bullcrap. But it works for me. This, this concept, the medical disease concept. So it's not like I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you my truth. Yeah, I got a question. Uh, we have, um, sorry, Mark, we, we have a, a queue of questions. Um, oh. So we need to answer them, right. to be fair. Uh, but raise your hand and we'll, if we get to it, we'll get to it. Um, Benham, did you want me to ask your question for you or do you want to ask it? Yeah, I can. Thank you. Great. Hi, Benham, brother. How are you? Yeah, how are you? Thank By you. By the way, Kyle from Berlin is truly anonymous. <laughs> we can't tell who you are. I'm teasing. I'm making a joke. <laughs> I used to um, wear yeah. masks when I first got into AA in the smoking meetings. You could hardly get through it. And people would say, why are you wearing a mask? And I'd say, for anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, Benham is my brother in, in Iran, in Persia. Go ahead, Benham. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello, Harvey. Uh, it's my pleasure to see you uh, for second time here. Yeah. My question is, uh, uh, here, Harvey, is about my uh, uh, behavior, you know, avoidance behavior pattern that I see and suffer a lot these days. And uh, I don't want intimacy in personal relationships. And I'm looking for a way out. Uh, the same is uh, in relation to a group. Uh, do you have any suggestion about this? I did not quite understand the beginning. It was avoidance, it was avoidance of intimacy uh, that yeah. he's talking about. Yes. It's I avoidance behavior. Yes, I still do it, okay? But it's better than it used to be. My sponsor would say, you're better than you used to be, but not as well as you're going to get. I'm in a retirement center. We have our own apartment, and we eat with other people, our meals, and man, I shoot right upstairs to my apartment. My wife's staying and socializing with everyone. No, I'm a loner. I've embraced that. And as I embrace it and accept it, I'm interacting better with other people. 
and on going and being with other people more where we are. These are all paradoxes. The program, truth is the space between the two sentences. The paradoxes. We keep it by giving it away. We win by surrendering. Okay? I accept how I am and I start changing. Who can figure this stuff out? But the whole prayer of St. Francis is based on it. By giving, we receive. By forgiving, we're forgiven. Truth is always in the paradox. So don't fight it, accept it, embrace it, and know God made you perfectly. God doesn't make shit. We have a disease that's affected us, excuse my language, but S-H-I-T, it's such a wonderful word sometimes to express what I want to say. <laughs> I have an expression, this Roy says it all. He calls us love cripples. First addict, then love cripple. I think I was born a love cripple and an addict. I think I was born this way. And I say, if I, if it's like a log in the road, if I tripped on it, I don't even know. If I fall on it, when I'm receiving love, I don't even know it. I'm a love cripple. And the more I accept it, embrace it, the more I'm able to receive it. A few years ago, I said to my wife, honey, you never tell me you love me. Man, I was married to her about 58 years at the time. Honey, you never say you love me. She said, I always say I love you. I said, no, you don't. So one day I'm sitting in my meditation room, reading a minute, and all of a sudden she puts her head in the door, opens the door, puts her head in, closes it. A minute later, she opens it again. She said, Harvey, did you just hear me say I love you when I opened the door the first time? And I said, no, man. I can't hear it. But if she gives me a little sly remark, I'll hear that immediately to get pissed at her. Did that answer you a little bit? 
Yeah, no. Okay. Next question. Go ahead, Guy. Hi, Harvey. Thank you for this talk. Um, I want to relate on two things. First of all, you were talking about meetings and uh, how in the beginning you had to attend all those meetings. Starting, I was attending meetings, but for a few months now, I uh, hardly go to any meetings. Uh, I do the step work with my sponsor, but there are not meetings at all. Now, if I look at my general condition, you know, it's uh, it's been better or like there's some improvement. I don't know, but maybe this 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 not going to meetings anymore has some bad impact or maybe it just stops the progress um, in a way. So if you can relate to uh, how important it is to to attend meetings while also doing the step work, and the second thing, just out of out of out of, out of curiosity, uh, when when after how many years in program did you start? seeing all this so clearly and, and, you know, start talking about all those things you, you talk about and, and you understand about us as uh, addicts and, uh, you know, essay in general. Um, COVID has produced a miracle in the world for addicts. It's given us so many more meetings than we ever had. So I'm going to more meetings than I did before COVID because I do the Zoom meetings. So number one, your brain might be lying to you again about meetings. On the Nashville meeting, I live in Naples, Florida now, but about once a day I'm on a, my regular meetings in Nashville. It's the most exciting thing to see at our 6.30 time Nashville, 7.30 my time, people from England and the um, East, from India, because it's a good time for them. It's in the afternoon. So there are as many meetings as we want. And I need to hear God talk to me through you all. So meetings are very important. Steps are important. Sponsors are important. But we're a bunch of drunks, so you can't put everything on a sponsor. This he could be drunk tomorrow. I could be drunk tomorrow. You can't believe us. You can't believe an addict. You know, when whenever our mouths are moving, there's a good chance we're lying. That's what addiction's like. So you don't want to only leave. Uh, it would be rough if my sponsees only depended on me. Matter of fact, once a week, I have a meeting of all my sponsees. About a half of them will show up at a time. And why do I do that? This I'm 81. In the near future, you know, 
I don't know how near, but I'm going to be dead. And I want them to get to meet each other. By the way, we tend not to talk about death. But that's because we have everything backwards. We think God is finite, that we know everything about God, we understand God, therefore he's finite, and we think we're infinite, that we're never going to die. We got it totally backwards. So meetings are very important for me. I used to go to three meetings a day my first few years, and then two meetings a day, etc. Now I go to usually a meeting a day. SA and AA are not part of my life. They are my life. Okay, now, you know, with the second part, repeat the second part again for me to make sure I get it right. Sure. Um, so you yeah, see... Got it. You, ha you have so many years into program, so it's like you see all, all these things so clearly, things which for us, right. I mean, for yeah. me personally... I remember what yeah. I was going to tell you. Yeah, um, okay. See, I'm not telling you anything from me. I'm just passing on what my sponsors have told me and what I've heard at meetings. I might... They might come out in my way, and I might give it a different spin. And over the years, as I've been less frightened, I've been able to expand my reading of for the 11th step. And I merely share what I'm, I'm picking up. You don't want anything original from me. Amazing. My best thinking is sex. Everything I see or hear gets filtered sexually. So I see an orchid and I see a vagina and a penis in the orchid. My filter filters everything sexually. But today, I have a filter under the filter. So it gets, the thought gets filtered sexually, but immediately it gets filtered through the recovery filter. From all I've learned, all I've taken in. My sponsor would always say, Harvey, you're better than you used to be but not as well as you're going to get. Over and over he'd say that. This is a never-ending journey because we have no destination. It's just the journey. 
Thank you. Thank you. It's up to you, Harvey, if you want to take one more question or not. Yeah, what time is it? Ooh, one more question. Okay, so go ahead, Shia. Thank you, thank, thank you, Harvey. As well as uh, for the whole speech, it was very unbelievable, over, over, overwhelmed. Um, okay, one second, give me one second, yeah. Um, Again, um, last week, I just follow up, last week you mentioned you uh, was questioning about the pain and explained it to me very good that it's that it's fake, it's not true, I don't have the pain now, and I don't, I don't have to have... No, no, you're going to have to stop, stop and slow down and say what you said very okay. slowly to me so I can hear. Okay. okay. My question is like this. Um, you, you, you mentioned to me last week, I was questioning about when I listen to other people's pain, it takes me over, and you explained it to me very, very well last week, that it's not my pain, it's other people's pain, and I can't sit with it, and it's fake, right? It's not true, that now I don't have pain, it's, 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 it's other people's, it's, 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 it's not my pain, basically. It's not my pain, and I shouldn't let it into me, but it's gonna take me over, and it's gonna be the same thing as, as fantasy. Same, same fake thing. I got it. The, the, the only problem is, but I, I, I still feel you're right with that point, but I still, it's still over, I still feel myself. I feel pain. I, I, it's, it's, it's a real thing. I do feel it. If, if I do feel it. So what, 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 uh, what, what should I do with it? It's, I do it, it's interesting you said that because I heard someone speaker uh, talk at Cher, who was one of the best essay shares I ever heard, but it kept talking about pain. And I contacted the person and I spent an hour with him and his sponsor on just that subject of pain. Just that subject. And I'm gonna say it to you. If you're experiencing terrible pain, emotional pain, and all of a sudden there was an earthquake and the doors and walls started to shake and you had to grab your family and run out of the house, what happened to the pain? Goes away. It's gone. Next question. Where did it go to? Where did it go to? I don't know. I have power to create away. No, no bullcrap. No, no, no. <laughs> we bring God into everything. Why did he? Why did he take it with the earthquake, but didn't take it when you were feeling it? <laughs> oh, God. This God gets such a bum deal. Because it's the same God you'll get annoyed at for not taking the pain away. So you have to wait for an earthquake for it to take it away. No, we're not going to God right now. 
we're going to the same thing as lust. It's all in the head, and then it goes to the emotion, or hits you emotionally and then goes to your head. Either way, who knows? It's not real. It's not real. It's based on memories. It's based on previous experiences. How do we use the word pain and recovery? In a recovery way. If we are painstaking, we will know a new freedom and a new happiness. Now, what did I do with pain? Two separate, watch what I do now. Two separate parallel worlds. I went for treatment. Went for codependency treatment. That helped me. But this is a spiritual program. It's not therapy. You've got to be real careful not to confuse this program with therapy. This is a spiritual program. My mother stabbed me when I was 14 or 15. I had a lot of sexual abuse happen to me by guys and all kids when I was young. All kinds of cellular pain, indirect abuse from my brother. No, spiritually, I don't deal with the pain here. If I want to take care of it, I go for therapy. But you don't, I don't use it as an excuse. Okay? So pain is not, I get calls, especially from a certain group of people, every other word like out of their mouth is, I'm in such pain, I'm in such pain. Well, they're in pain because they're not surrendering. That's what gives me pain. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not going to let that person say that. That hurt me deeply. I got to get back at that person. So it turns into anger or fear, whatever. We don't act out today if our ass falls off. That's how they say it in AA. It doesn't mean we don't go for therapy. If we have chest pain, we go to a doctor because we could be having a heart attack. But this is a spiritual program. It's not about our pain. It's about how to love other people. And even if we have to act as if. <coughs> How to be, how to manifest God's attributes. Not to be in selfish, 
selfishness, self-centeredness. That is a core of problem driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking. We step on the toes of others and they retaliate from the big book. Well, a lot of times pain is self-delusional. Time and again, people call me, oh, my wife just gave me such pain what she said. I'll say, what did she say? They'll tell me it was so innocuous. It was, no, she wasn't throwing daggers. I was hearing her throwing daggers. I was seeing her delusional. It's all based on my perception. I went a five-day treatment program, and then I went two years for codependency, group therapy, and individual therapy. And I, as you can tell, I'm a talker, and I seduce verbally all my therapists, not into sex, but into what a great guy, pitiful pain I've had. No, I couldn't do that kind of therapy. I went for experiential therapy where I screamed it out, I vomited it out, I yelled it out, I beat it out. But that was therapy. But it took my spiritual recovery to let me be ready to work on these issues. There's a famous guy from years ago who wrote this book, The um, Child Within, well, the meeting's over. <laughs> and um, he said, basically, it takes about from three to four years for addicts to be ready to work on some of these issues until you build enough spiritual foundation. It's too upsetting to go into some of these other issues. And a lot of times, if you do it prematurely, a lot of people lose their uh, their sobriety. So yeah, Mr. Kiwara. Elaine, that Elaine, that is the most beautiful life light fixture. It's beautiful. Or Thank you. That's a yeah. That's my decoration for Christmas. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's like like American style, you know. And look yeah, here. Well, I, I think it. Germany was doing Christmas before, way before America was even around. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Is that an example of our ADHD? Uh, look, squirrel. No, Elaine, it's your face. It's your face that's beautiful that's lit up. Yes, that too. Wow. Now, look how she is laughing and smiling. See, the pain has disappeared. No pain. That's <laughs> Miss. Many of us don't get to see the beautiful Christmas that other people celebrate. Enough. 
<laughs> I've never had a Christmas tree. I've always wanted one, but I've never had one. It's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you, y'all. You're wonderful. And see you next week for those who could come and we'll be ending the series next week. So. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.